Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 141 of the Conquering Columbus podcast. Today on the show, we've got Will Zell joining us, and Will is the CEO over at Nikola Labs. They're doing a lot of crazy stuff when it comes to developing wireless power and the technology surrounding it. And Will's been a serial entrepreneur. He's founded a few companies of his own. I think he's got a lot of great advice for all the aspiring entrepreneurs out there. I definitely think you guys are going to enjoy this episode. And as always, we hope you'll learn a lot. Before we get to that, though, we want to take a quick moment to thank some of our sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that's going to start with FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent, through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And our last sponsor is Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus. And their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. And Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to join like-minded businesses to raise money for great causes, participate in large-scale volunteer efforts, and improve educational opportunities for youth in our community. To get your small business involved or to learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That is smallbizcares.org. Finally, if you've ever wondered what it takes to start your own podcast, we're here to help. We're putting together a podcast startup package with our recommendations and some of the key lessons we learned over the past two years of podcasting. You can sign up by heading over to our website, conqueringcolumbus.com. And while you're there, don't forget to give us a like on Facebook and be sure to subscribe and share Conquering Columbus wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Today on the show, we've got Will Zell joining us, and he is the CEO and co-founder of Nikola Labs, a wireless power company with the goal of revolutionizing the way devices are powered. And before Nikola Labs, Will has been a founder and owner of several other firms, and he has a lot of experience as an entrepreneur and a leader. We're really excited to have him here on the show today to talk about everything he and his team have going on. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Well, 
Thanks, Mike. Josh, great to be here, guys. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, thanks a lot for joining us at the end of the day. And uh, kind of generally where we like to start with these interviews is really kick it back, talk a little bit about what maybe things that led up to Nicola Lab. So what was maybe life like growing up? Where did you go to school? What were some of your key roles coming out of college? Kind of all that stuff and whatever you feel is most important to you to pull out of that. Yeah, for sure. So um, I'm born and raised in the Logan County area, which is northwest of uh, Columbus by about 45 minutes. Uh, Bell Fountain is the, the city that I grew up in and actually still live, live in that area. Um, so graduated from Bell Fountain High School in 2001. And it was all set during my senior year to actually come to Ohio State, live on campus, had actually the dorm picked out, uh, but then had kind of my first uh, decision where I would say, um, I'd call it an entrepreneurial decision, even though it wasn't related to business. It was a, a bold decision to go a very different path uh, than what the normal path was, and that was to actually run for city council in my hometown. Uh, so as a senior in high school, I ran for Bell Fountain City Council. What's interesting is it was a cool experience in and of itself, um, but it also very much shifted the, and shaped the next several years of my life. So rather than coming to Columbus and living on campus, um, I had to run a campaign in the fall of you know, my freshman year in, in college. And so I ended up staying in Bell Fountain, uh, commuted first to uh, Ohio State in Lima, eventually commuted down to Ohio State in Columbus. Um, but decided that I wanted to kind of stay and get involved in, in my hometown. Also, it was an experience where I suffered my first great defeat. <laughs> uh, I lost. Uh, there were six people running for three spots. Bell Fountain is highly Republican, um, and I was one of three Democrats running against uh, three Republican incumbents. Came in fourth, which wasn't bad. I only lost by a little over 100 votes. Uh, but it was, it was a great experience that shaped my life. And really from there, I guess if I think about the last uh, really 15 years, almost 20 years by now, which is, is hard to believe. But when I think about that time, a lot of what I was looking for, and, and I'd say kind of core belief is around, you know, how do you take your life and positively impact community? Um, and, you know, how do you do work day in and day out and have that work at some point uh, create a positive impact on your community, whether it's where you live, who you connect with, um, and, and beyond. And so I explored kind of that problem from a, a few different angles. The first was around government and thinking that politics was a great path to do that. Transitioned out of there, uh, interestingly enough, into full-time ministry. I went into full-time ministry in 2007 and served for five years at a, a church as a member of the, the staff. Um, and if you think about that thematically, it was around impacting community from a more of a nonprofit perspective. Um, and, and really, the as I was going through those steps, um, I also worked as an insurance agent uh, during during school and during some of those those times, um, and that was my first experience in and around small business. So there are a lot of different factors that were um, really kind of converging around entrepreneurship and this idea of really having a business idea, pursuing that business idea, building success with the business and in the marketplace, and then using that platform for, for positive impact. At the end of the day, when you think about who politicians go to for support, they often go to, to successful business people. If you think about where nonprofits go to support, uh, for support, it's, it's often to you know, successful businesses and business people. So the common denominator and common theme was, you know, if you have a good idea and you're willing to put in the effort and go through the pains of, of starting and, and running business, um, then you can, you know, hopefully the idea is you can create success and build a platform that can ultimately impact um, the community in a positive way. And that's absolutely what I love about the Columbus Way, which I'm sure you guys are aware of, this 
whole ideology that I think is very unique um, and beautiful that Columbus, Ohio has that is called the Columbus Way. The, the thought of business and government and the nonprofits world, world really working together around this collective belief that there's no problem that we, we can't solve um, and everyone has to step up the, to the plate and sacrifice. So for me, that, that kind of led to uh, starting my first business, which was in real estate uh, in my hometown. Um, it was a, a, a good business for a number of different ways. Number one, we were investing in distressed assets. Um, so we'd buy a home that was in foreclosure. It's typically the worst home in a, in a neighborhood. We would buy it and we'd renovate it. Um, so the whole idea was to and then turn around and either sell it or, or rent it out. So you took a, a distressed asset, something that was kind of the worst in the neighborhood, and you made it more towards the best in the neighborhood. So there was a very micro element of neighborhood impact and economic development there. But also then how do you make a profit out of that and how do you scale it? I would qualify real estate as the business that I cut my teeth on. I think one of the most probably number one piece of advice I have for entrepreneurs is when you start a business, the very first thing that's going to happen is the marketplace is going to punch you in the face, <laughs> right? And it's going to quickly tell you what you suck at. And your ability to survive is how fast you can realize that and then make provisions around it. For me, that was what real estate was. A lot of good learning, a lot of ups, a lot of downs. But I evolved um, personally from a passion perspective towards technology startups. I had uh, two tech startups I launched um, in the 2012-2013 time period, and again, kind of based in Bell Fountain. So needed to raise capital and, and build a tech company, so started coming to Columbus. Very difficult in those days to raise early stage capital. Getting a little better now, uh, but still challenging in those days. It was very, very difficult. Got both of those uh, products to market. One was generating pretty good revenue, but they were both business models that were dependent on capital infusion in order to fuel growth. It wasn't, neither of them were business models where you can, could grow and even really survive off of, of revenues you needed to invest ahead of it. So I ended up having to shut those down, a lot, lot of lessons there, but that all led to uh, meeting Dr. Chi Chi Chen at The Ohio State University and starting Nikola Labs, and that was uh, back in October 2014. Do you think that your character and those attributes that led you from government to ministry to jumping into real estate and tech, like were those instilled by your parents? Were they entrepreneurs? What was that? So my, um, there was a, a bit of uh, entrepreneurialism in my family. My grandfather started a, a construction company in Logan County and was uh, the largest builder of real, uh, residential real estate for, I think, two, maybe three decades. Uh, but my parents directly weren't um, entrepreneurial. My dad was in construction um, as, as a carpenter, my mom was a school teacher and then had seven children. So I'm actually the fifth of seven. So another interesting aspect there. But what they did do, and, and, and my mom very, very specifically, always encouraged me to pursue my dreams. So it was, it was kind of, you know, don't necessarily go down the, the normal path. You know, pursue your dreams, put your heart forward. Passion matters in, in what you do. And then you can figure out a lot of stuff after that. And I think it was me. I. I think it's more of my personal wiring around like actually loving business, um, but it took an evolution to get there. I think had my parents been more entrepreneurial, they probably would have like quickly got me to like start a business when you're 15 years old or something like that. So it was a bit of a journey that, that took some time. But I think it, what I'm very grateful for my parents for is just the, this idea of following your passions and then things will take care of themselves from there. Interests me the most is this, just your ability to transition into so many different roles and so many different it just they, they they take a lot of different skills, right? Like you look at like a minister is going to have a lot very different skill set from someone leading a tech company, and maybe not so different depending on certain areas. So is there anything that 
that you felt like across the board about your character, about you know, just the roles themselves that you would say, hey, these are some characteristics that I'd work on improving if I were a young entrepreneur, a young professional. Yeah, so actually there was a lot of commonality. Um, so very different application and, and let's say objectives for those, those different roles. But um, the core skills that I have that I've continued to develop were very relevant in politics, nonprofit, and um, in, in business. And I think that's really important as an entrepreneur. So what, what I would encourage an entrepreneur to do is really understand what are those, those core gifts that you're good at, that you can be liter literally the best in the world at, or at least perform at, at an elite level. Um, and that skill can most likely be applied to an aspect of business, right? And hopefully leadership and, and building your own company and then you just need to build complementary skill sets around that. So for me, it's actually a lot around communication, right? So if you're a politician giving a speech, you've got to move people, right? Convince them to, to vote for you. If you're a minister giving a sermon, you've got to convince people to believe you and, and ultimately make a decision based on that. And if you're an entrepreneur um, starting a business and raising capital, you've got to invest or convince a whole lot of people to get behind your, your crazy idea. So a lot of the, the it kind of narrows down to communication and culture building um, are the kind of two areas that, that I like to focus on. There's been a ton of aspects around building and building Nikolai specifically where I've had to learn a lot and have kind of failed along the way, um, but, but have, have learned a significant amount of, about myself. But I think, I think what I would, the advice I would give, especially for a young entrepreneur, is really focus on, on understanding your strengths. Um, and whether that's marketing, whether that's sales, whether it's communication, whether it's engineering or and product, you know, like you'll you'll have a strength that it can be applied, um, plus some other strengths, hopefully. But what are the couple things that you're just absolutely great at, and and focus on developing those. Put yourself intentionally in situations where you have to get better at that. One thing that I find difficult about that is. For one, like with your strengths, you're so good at them that they almost come naturally and you don't always identify them as strengths, especially if you don't if you're used to focusing on your weaknesses, so that can be a difficult path. And then understanding not only what your strengths are, but what strengths match with your passions. Because sometimes I feel like you can be strong in things that might be kind of going against the grain constantly. So did you always feel like you were kind of going down the right path and, and going with the flow and felt happy and in, in the right place in life? No, not at all. <laughs> I mean, that's like, I think that's the beauty of the journey, right? So I'm, I'm a big believer in different mental models in life. And so fundamentally, fundamentally having filters where you process life through. And that's actually one that um, for me, it actually produced the most amount of freedom is like, get comfortable with things being crazy, right? And things not making sense, right? And everything's a spectrum of, of time and, and, a, and a experience. And there's, you know, it's, it's a book, right? There are chapters and in different uh, chapters to your life. So everything has kind of a spectrum of time associated with it and a season that you're going through. So like, enjoy it. And I mean, there, there are some significant downs, like, cr like the vast majority of a, a lot of my experience over the last many, many years has been struggle, right? And not, not, not like, let's say, um, U.S. struggle, if you will, right? So I'm very sensitive to, like, the things I consider problems not being problems that matter to a lot of people. But, but with that said, still, nonetheless, struggle in the journey to pursue your dream. Um, and 
yet at the same time, those struggles have also, also produced the greatest uh, learning, the greatest fruit, the greatest outcomes, right? Like, I, I can't, you know, going through having to shut down your first two technology startup companies actually sucks. There's nothing fun about it. I invested my own money in it, had built teams, had employees, had to fire people, I let people go, had to deal with debt coming out of it. Like, there, are, there were, there were um, reverberating impacts in, in a negative way. But had that not happened, I would not have been in the position that I was to meet Dr. Chen, to really get into Nikola Labs and understand the potential of wireless power, and to be able to, to try to, to step up to the plate again. Um, so I, I think getting comfortable with the fact that things are crazy and stressful, um, and finding the beauty in that, right? Like I think that's the ultimate, um, that's the ultimate uh, path to, let's say, peace and fulfillment and joy, is not like escaping that craziness, it's actually embracing the craziness and then figuring out how to, to um, make it an asset to you and not a liability, a strength and not a weakness. So we want to spend the majority of the episode talking about Nickel Labs, but before we do that, I kind of want to dive into those first two tech startups and maybe just talk a little bit about, you know, where the idea came from, what the path looked like to getting those off the ground, mm -hmm. and then at a high level, you know, evolving into the next one. I think sometimes when we get entrepreneurs on here, they tend to, because of the way that entrepreneurs program, zero to one is really kind of easy for them in some sense, mm -hmm. maybe not other people, but, and they just skip over that, you know, because it seems like, well, I thought of it and I did it, you know? Yeah. So what did that look like for you? Yeah, so the first company was called HuddleWoo, H-U-D-D-L-E-W-O-O, and it was, it was built around this kind of common problem that, that I, I think broadly about, which is the problem of access. So I think this is back, the genesis of it was a, a conference I attended in Washington, D.C. in late 2011. It was an entrepreneurial conference, and uh, it really was kind of a pretty important event to get me to shift from real estate to, to tech. And at that time, I'd started reading books like, you know, The Lean Startup and Twitter was, you know, these social media platforms were out there. So you can now, hey, I can follow Elon Musk. I can follow Jack Dorsey. I can follow all of these, these um, women and men entrepreneurs that, that I admire. Um, and it's great. And I get a little bit of an insight in, into their life. But, man, I would love to have a conversation with Elon Musk. Like, I would love to have a one-on-one -on -one chat with John Maxwell. So the, the, the idea of HuddleWoo is how do you make that happen, Right. So if, if I want to have a real one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone that I admire, I need, need to either spend a lot of money to travel to get to a conference that they're at and maybe get 30 seconds with them, or I need to spend the next five years building a network and getting close enough to them where, where I it can you know, have that relationship and get a warm introduction, right? It's kind of crazy. The idea of HuddleWoo is, forget all that, build a platform where someone who is an influencer can create a, a, a profile they can assess a value for their time. So let's say a thousand dollars an hour to speak with with John Maxwell. And if I follow John Maxwell on Twitter, and I'd love to have a fifteen minute conversation with him, I can spend two hundred and fifty dollars, and he could use it personal income. He could donate it to a charity of his choice. But I can get one on one with him very quickly and have that conversation that I admire or, or been looking for using basically a live video platform. So we built everything uh, kind of from the ground up. Had a couple of great co-founders. So Zach Ferris, who now runs Coplex in Phoenix, Arizona, um, originally from the Central Ohio area. Matthew Buckenroth, who um, is now at Pluto TV that was just, just acquired. Um, and George Jasenich, who's in, in down in, in South Carolina. So good, solid people who helped get this off the ground. Uh, but the problem, there are a number of problems there. Fundamentally, it was a business model problem. Um, and uh, it just didn't work. So we, we launched the, the beta version. We were able to attract 
couple hundred, I would say, influencers, not any, let's say, A, a players, but people who had an audience, um, but it just didn't. So a lot of the value of social media is not one-to-one, -one, it's one-to-many, right? It's the network impact of it. Mm -hmm. So getting someone who loves one-to-many to spend 15 minutes talking to one person is actually a tough value proposition to overcome. So the second one was uh, connect to home. Uh, and actually, this is a, a business thesis that I still believe in today. So it's a very unpopular opinion. But I believe that the daily news industry can actually dominate the digital age. Right? So if you think about the, an industry that has suffered most from the rise of social media, the rise of the internet, has been daily newspapers, right? the daily news, news industry. But I believe that there is actually potential for that to invert and for uh, the daily news industry to become a dominant force in, in the digital age. So the idea of Connect to Home was to, to create that kind of from a, a ground up, where you begin to connect uh, community by community and you create an app and a, an experience that allows you to connect to local news that matters, the things that you care about, all the way up through national news. Um, that one we, we launched, we went through the 10 Accelerator. I don't know if you guys have heard of the, the 10X. Um, so we, we went through that. It was actually the last, the last class of 10X, but it was, again, something, it, we were generating revenue, but we really put it on, let's try to grow and grow fast, and uh, we just weren't able to raise capital for it. So I ended up shutting that one down, I think, in late 2013, early 14. <clears throat> and you mentioned, excuse me, having high-quality team members there. How did you meet those individuals to bring into the company, either the first time or the second time? Yeah, so I've got a... Um, a uh, really good friend of mine who, who does a lot of work and is from the Belfound area, his name's Jason Duff. Great guy that I think you guys should have on the program. I don't think you've, you've had him on yet, but he, a lot of his focus is on uh, real estate. And if you drive to Belfound, Ohio today, um, you see a very revitalized downtown. Mm -hmm. And it's basically a strategy that he implemented and executed almost single-handedly. Um, and he uh, had some common connections. He introduced me to Zach Ferris and you know how networks work meet one person and they say they, they, they get a couple more people uh, interested and connected. So it was, it was basically it. And then one of the cool things is the 10X program was actually great for me because, um, again, I'm a quote-unquote tech entrepreneur trying to, to start a technology company in Belfound, Ohio. <laughs> so that, right. that doesn't really go well. There's not, <laughs> not too much, much happening. It's 45 minutes up the street. So I needed to, to start to build, like connect to a, actual technology community, even though it's small here in Columbus at the time and it's grown, it was still something. Um, and so coming in for the 10X program was actually a huge boost for me because it was the first time to really start to make connections and build relationships broadly. And I've been coming to Columbus every day since. Right. I think Columbus is a hard sell for tech companies. Um, Belfound Bell might be a little bit tougher. <laughs> uh, but what I want to talk about a little bit is just within all of that, you know, you're making all these connections, you're building these tech companies and you yourself don't have a lot of technical experience. Did you ever run into a situation? They talk about a lot, the imposter feeling, right? Like, yep. And I get it from time to time. I think everybody at least once in their life has experienced the, the thought that, hey, am I good enough to be doing this? Like, mm -hmm. how did you handle that type of situation? And what, what did you do to get yourself on track to be that leader of a tech company? Yeah, so there have been probably 30,000 times where I said, man, I wish I could code. <laughs> <laughs> I really wish, and, and a couple times where you kind of put forth that effort to try to learn, and and, um, and and you know, being a non-technical founder is 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 interesting. There's a lot of debate, as I'm sure you guys are, are connected in with it, but 
Um, I, I can definitely see the benefit of being able to get in and build what you want to build early on, right? When you're, when you're trying to get a product to market, but ultimately any startup is an organization and organizations require diverse skill sets. And so I think that goes back to what your uh, kind of core gifts are, right? So how that benefits me in, in terms of applying my skills to a, a startup, let's say day one, is you know, putting together a great uh, investor deck, right? Getting out and hustling and, and, and speaking with investors and starting to raise capital, going out and selling, right? I'll, I'll sell any, any day of the week, every day. Um, and those are all very critical things um, that, that matter early on, right? Um, depending on, on the company, but, but for most. So, you know, I think the imposter syndrome is, is for sure a very, very real thing, right? Like, mm -hmm. fortunately, through, through Nikola Labs, we've had the experience to travel around the world and, and uh, spend a lot of time in Silicon Valley and in other parts of the world and, and on stage giving talks. And so we were at uh, uh, Disrupt New York in 2015, TechCrunch Disrupt, uh, for Nikola Labs. And that was like imposter syndrome, like... 101, because we ended up uh, on the the, the uh, battlefield stage pitching, uh -huh. and uh, it was crazy. I'm like sitting from like 2,000 people and then 10,000 people uh, viewing online. I'm like, I do not <laughs> belong right. here, but but you do, right? And you just got to believe in yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're, it's it's one of those things that you're going to fight, and and there will always be forces that try to come against you to tell you that you can't. But you know, you've you've got to dig deep as an entrepreneur, and and. You're going to be constantly overcoming limiting beliefs that other people put on you and also self-limiting beliefs. You know, it's a process. Like, I, I remember the the first, you know, the time when I was going through shutting down the first couple companies, like, I was falling apart emotionally. I remember, like, six weeks in a row waking up at, like, 2 o'clock in the morning just having anxiety attacks. Like, it was literally not fun whatsoever. But I, it, like, prepared me, right? It's It strengthened me for the next time. And we've been... At Nikola Labs, in like several instances, we're like, oh my God, <laughs> like there's the zero in the bank account and it's coming at us very, very quickly. And before, that's when I fell apart, right? But because I went through that and didn't give up, said, okay, no, I, I deserve to, to be here and, and step up to the plate and do it again, then you can handle that emotionally in, in, a, a, in a much better way. So I think that's, it comes with cycles, you know, you know what I'm saying? As a, a startup founder, like the biggest thing that we have to do, and I think, still have a long way to go in Columbus is to fully embrace anybody who started a company and failed and, and like come around them and say start again. Like the best thing you can do is, is tomorrow or maybe take a week off but then start something else, right? And like we'll provide you the support and help you start again because every time, win, lose, or draw on a startup, every time you step back up to the plate, you're better. And you go through two or three cycles of that, you're going to land on something that you can at least build into a marginal success, right. you know? So let's transition that into your third cycle then. So you start Nickel Labs, or maybe you can consider your fourth, if you consider real estate in there too. Um, what does that process look like? How does the idea come about and how does everything evolve? Yeah, so um, this is early 2014 and I was looking for my next at bat um, and kind of really licking my wounds uh, coming out of, of um, having to shut down the other couple. And probably it was like, you know, my, I have an amazing wife. She's very entrepreneurial. Um, we've been married for 12 years and she's, she's awesome. But probably at that time it's like, hey, you may have one more shot. <laughs> this may be it. This may be it. Just for the record. Good luck. So, yeah, good luck. So I was looking, I, I was kind of looking for the next step back and I had an idea for a product 
but the only way the product would work is with wireless power. Um, and I knew nothing about wireless power, of course. So by that time, I'd built a couple of relationships at Ohio State. Uh, Dan Rockwell, who at the time worked at the commercialization office at, at Ohio State. I went to Dan. I said, Dan, is there anybody in, in the university working on wireless power transfer? And he said, you've got to meet Chi-Chi Chen. Uh, so this is like April, May of, of 2014. I met Chi-Chi, and we started spending time together around my product idea. And he does research, so he helps kind of build proof of concepts, if you will. And as we spent multiple meetings together for multiple hours. During that time, he was taking me to school, basically, on wireless power transfer. And, and over time, I'm like, what in the world? Like, this is insane. Like, so the idea of getting electricity from point A to point B over distance without wires. Um, and if you think about how we've electrified the world, you know, it's a fundamentally different approach. And, and so part of the things for me, my personal wiring, is if there's something, an, an idea that I'm considering, I like to dive de as deep as I can into it. So that's when he started. I started reading about Nikola Tesla. Read his autobiography. Started reading uh, uh, Richard Feynman's book, uh, Physics Instruction and Books, um, and and kind of went on there just just to. I'm not an engineer by training, but just to try to understand the fundamentals, and um, and just realize that man, there is with the rise of the Internet of Things, there is an incredible opportunity for wireless power to become very transformational. And so then at that time, uh, Ecove Capital was actually just getting started here in, in, in um, Columbus. And I connected with the founders of Ecove, uh, Rodolfo Balesi and Flavio Lobato. And, um, and with Dr. Tim, we, we decided to launch the company. So how do you balance between being executional? You know, you, you have one more at bat. You probably are, um, and maybe you're not, but I'm, I'm assuming it's a transition period. Where maybe you might not have a job. Is that? Yeah, I did a little bit of part-time work for the Logan County Chamber of Commerce, but I did not have a job. That's And you're just spending time <laughs> reading? Like, I would feel like I was spinning in the mud. Like, I would kind of go crazy with that. So were you just comfortable in saying, like, I know that this is what I got to do? Like, uh, No, I, I would say it was not comfortable at all, um, but it was, I know this is what I have to do, right? Like, it, you know, it, it's that, it's kind of what I was just saying, like, if you fail, right, the worst thing that you can do, especially from an entrepreneurial perspective, the worst thing you can do is stop. Humanity needs you to keep going to a certain degree, right? If, if, if I say like you're really entrepreneurial and you feel like your, your calling in this world is to build businesses, right? The worst thing you can do is stop. And there are reasons to stop and you may need to like, hey, I need to go get a job so we don't go bankrupt, right? And I need to do that for the next couple of years. And like, that's totally cool. You've got to do exactly what, what you have to do. So I'm not putting down anybody who says, okay, I'm done with, I'm gonna go get a real job. Like that's, you, you've got to do what you got to do for yourself and for your family. But if, you're, if you do do that, you need to keep that entrepreneurial spirit alive. And at some point when you're stable, come back to it. Um, and, and I think that entrepreneurs can, you get comfortable with a lot of uncertainty uh, a lot of risk. Um, you learn how to survive off of a, a small amount of resources, honestly. Um, and you're, you're playing the long game for the upside. So wasn't anything comfortable about it, but I wasn't willing to, to give up. So where do things go from those initial conversations with Dr. Chen? Do you go and like, what, what's the company look like today? Kind of where, can you take us through that process? Yeah, so we're a, we are an official spin out from the Ohio State University. I get fined if I don't say the, just kidding. So Ohio State's an equity owner in the, the company. Um, we license the technology from them. 
Dr. Chin himself is actually an amazing human being, great researcher, very talented, one of, one of the best in the world at what he does, right? And, and it's important to note that, you know, you always want to build great technology companies where you have great technologists and a, a great technical foundation. Um, and to that end, that's why we believe that Columbus, Ohio is actually probably one of the best cities in the world to build a wireless power company. Um, because we have an incredible resource here at Ohio State, uh, the electroscience lab uh, that develops breakthrough radio frequency technologies, including wireless power. So what we did when, when, when we launched the company, Dr. Chin had um, developed a, a first application of his core technology, which was actually a self-harvesting smartphone case. So it was a, a case that you'd put on your phone that would capture some of the wa wasted radio frequency that the phone itself transmitted and convert that at, into usable power, DC current, and then put it back into your battery. So it wasn't charging your phone, but what it would do is it, it would extend the life of your phone between charges. So you may get an extra 10%, 15%, 20% of battery life because it was actively harvesting um, the wasted radio frequency energy. Excuse me, so it was a, a great application, uh, cool tech, but um, ultimately, failed in terms of becoming a viable consumer product for a large number of reasons. The primary one was you could go buy a Mophie battery case, get two full extra charges, pay 40, 50 bucks for it. You'd have to pay $90 for our case, which may give you 10%, may give you 20% um, extra battery. So there, there just was a misalignment around consumer value. Mm -hmm. um, so that focus on the smartphone case took us from October 14 to say like August, September 2015. Um, we did a Kickstarter actually, which seemed to have a lot of promise, but it ended up failing. Uh, so that sucked. Um, <laughs> and that was really kind of the moment where it's like, man, we need to, to go a different route. We could either try to get this, this case to market or and, and fail bad, or we can see if there's something else. And it, 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 was, it was tough, but it was also probably the greatest moment because, because it brought us back to what I would say was the truest vision for Nikola, even when we started the company, even considering the case, and that was the idea of wireless power transfer impacting the internet of things. So uh, at that point, we decided to abandon the smartphone case and focus on, on the internet of things, which is a very broad concept in and of itself, as I'm sure you guys know. From there, we, we did a couple of very key tactical uh, development projects from a, a technology perspective. We took a system that Chi Chi had, had developed and miniaturize it down to a single chip. It was a project we did with Texas Instruments and Skywork Solutions, which if you think about you know, being able to enable wireless power on a small IoT sensor, you need to have a small form factor from a, a circuitry perspective. So having a single chip was really important. And then from there, it was a lot of actually business development. Um, and, and we looked, we, we did, took a strategy very different from our competitors and, and we looked very broadly at the world and uh, through basically five buckets of, of industries where we believed wireless power would have an impact. And it was a lot, for about two, two and a half years, it was a lot of cycles to quickly qualify opportunity within each vertical and try to understand is it near term, is it midterm, so is it now, is it three years from now, or is it 10 years from now, right? And so there's a lot of hype around wireless power for consumer mm -hmm. devices. That's 10 years from now, guys, it's not today. If mm -hmm. someone is going to be really honest with you, it's n you're, you're not for at least a decade going to have, be able to walk into your house and have your phone charged without plugging it in or without putting it on a charging pad. Where we ended up at, actually, and fortuitously, was 
the first killer application for our technology being in predictive maintenance, which is an IoT application for manufacturing companies. Mm -hmm. And for a number of reasons, I believe it's the killer application for our technology. And competitively, we're based in Columbus, Ohio, in the heart of manufacturing. Um, so the whole shift towards predictive maintenance caused an evolution of the company. We went from just selling chips and antennas to being a full stack company. So we built out a full sensor system, a full communications and, and power hub, um, and a kind of full stack all the way up to the cloud-based uh, software application for our customers. And um, we spent the better part of 2018 developing that, finished it up in, in late last year and have, have been out selling it and installing it. It's been, been great. So fi finally getting to product revenue, which is really, really good, obviously, as you guys know. Yeah. Revenue is good. The thing with, with wireless power is it's, it's tough, right? Like it's um, I kind of identified as a platform technology. So if you think AI, if you think virtual reality, right? Mm -hmm. Things that, that um, platform technologies that have broad applicability and typically go through a hype cycle and a lot of money goes into it. But then it takes years to figure out where the actually best use cases are. Right, so the best use cases for VR, are not really consumer yet at scale, but a lot of other applications. AI, a lot of other applications, right? For wireless power, it's very similar. It's very broadly applicable, and we've been focused on where can we build a business today. So what are the goals for this year and beyond? You know, after that point, after all that's been said, yeah. you're finally starting to get some product revenue coming in. What are you looking at for this year and maybe the next three to five years? Yeah, what I love about it is now the whole organization begins to shift into executing a sales strategy. So we still have ongoing engineering and, and product development, um, but now it becomes about sales. And this is where now I get a little more comfort from you know being a non-technical uh, founder. And, and we've got a great team. We, we know the market. We've got the message. We've got the sales uh, process in place. We've got a great, robust pipeline. Um, so this year is really about building that revenue engine. Um, we're selling it in a hardware as a service model, so there's a recurring revenue component of it, which is nice because you can can roll that up year after year. Um, so I'd say, you know, we're as an organization, we're 100% focused on predictive maintenance. We will be for at least probably the next year and a half to two years. Once we've built that engine, we know that we can take this system that we've we've built for predictive maintenance, make a few modifications and apply it to other key verticals such as smart buildings and let's say asset tracking and logistics. We will, we will go through that process of expanding into other verticals once we feel confident about the traction we've built in predictive maintenance. And what does the team size look like today? Yes, yeah, so we're at about 25 people. Um, so I think we started 2018 with probably seven or eight people. So we had a, a lot of growth in, in 2018 from a projections perspective we're, we're if we're successful we'll, we'll more than double this year um so it's good you know it's kind of getting into that that growth phase which is which is nice have you extrapolated out where profitability hits or what that's going to look like for you guys yeah so it all depend on obviously how much you're going to invest into growth right but from a from a, let's say a cash flow break even um we we get there um in the end of the first quarter 2020 and we'll, we'll see. I mean, we're currently raising, uh, finishing up our Series A round now. Uh, we'll most likely have another capital raise sometime around the end of this year into to early next year because I believe we'll want to fuel growth more aggressively. What do you see the biggest challenges being in that time frame? It's definitely 
being very crystal clear on product market fit and being able to communicate that um, to the stakeholders of the company and, and future stakeholders. Um, and really just generating ARR, man. That's, mm -hmm. I mean, that's, <laughs> it, 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 is, it is sales building customer base. Feel good about where we are right now. Actually, we've got a lot of great feedback that, that's coming in. Um, and we just need to continue to, to execute on that. Wireless power is not an easy, it's not an easy technology at all. It's, it's precarious in, in many ways. You're, um, you know, think about like the beginning days of Wi-Fi, right? And how clunky it was sometime. I don't even know if you guys remember the <laughs> beginning days of Wi-Fi. <laughs> I barely do. But it, you know, there is a clunkiness associated with it, not anything what it is today, right? That's where we are in wireless power. So there's, it's a nascent and it's like, so I've got three kids. It's like a toddler, right? It's, it's got a lot of uh, a lot of hand holding going uh, on with the technology. Absolutely, and I think that's a good place to pivot towards one of our last questions of the show. Well, it's centered around a theme here on conquering Columbus. That theme is live uncomfortably. Without telling you too much about why Josh and I picked that phrase, personally, what do you think of when you hear the phrase? How does it apply to your life and career? It's a good question. So living uncomfortably. So the best way I like to describe entrepreneurship is like being the captain of a ship, like go back in the day. So Christopher Columbus days and all the great <laughs> explorers, right? And you didn't know the world. You had this rough map, right? With very little precedent. Um, and you were going to get on a ship <laughs> with a team of people and you had a destination that you thought you could get to, right? And between where you were leaving, so you were leaving comfort and you were immediately taking on discomfort, right? And I'm, I haven't personally spent time at sea, but you know enough to know enough, right? There's nothing comfortable, especially back, back in you know, several hundred years ago, about living isolated on a ship at sea. Um, you're in a, a daily environment that is naturally stronger than you at any given moment, which is the sea, right? And for entrepreneurs, for me, that's the marketplace, right? Like you feel like you've got an edge, you feel like you know what you're doing and you can be, build the best business, but you are always at the mercy of the marketplace. It is a sea that any moment can spin up a wave that takes you out, quite frankly. So in that journey, you've got to believe in where you're going. You've got to use the tools that you have from a navigation perspective, though they may be rough. You've got to keep your team engaged and excited. You're going to face storms. You'll probably have part of your ship break. You're going to find a few stops along the way. And hopefully at some point you'll get to the other side. And that other side may be very different than where you were originally planning out to get to, but you're going to get to the other side and discover a new world. And so for me, that's, that is the essence of entrepreneurship and is living uncomfortably is understanding that that is the commitment that you're making emotionally, financially, physically sometimes for the next several years of your life, right? And understand that you're going to be misunderstood, understanding that you could ultimately fail and people will look badly at you for, for failing and taking all of that into consideration and still saying yes. Um, and, and I think for, for me, um, my message, and, and I hope that we have more and more, um, women and men step up to the plate to do just that here in the region. And I think we will see that. Columbus is an exciting place to be with a lot of exciting people. 
But, uh, Will, I think that's a great place to wrap up on a great answer. Thanks a lot for joining us on the show today. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah, and Conquerors, thanks for tuning in. That was Will Zell. He's the CEO over at Nicola Labs. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. If you want to learn more about their team, check out the links down in the show notes. And, again, hope you guys really enjoyed that episode. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, Conquerors, that's it for the episode today. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. If you did, make sure to leave a like. Share us on Facebook with your friends. We really appreciate all your support. And every time you share our podcast or leave a review on iTunes, it really does help us out. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here. And that's going to start with FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And our last sponsor is Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus, and their goal is to connect mobilize and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community and small biz cares members have the unique opportunity to join like-minded businesses to raise money for great causes participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunities for youth in our community to get your small business involved or to learn more visit smallbizcares.org that is small b-i-z cares.org Finally, if you've ever wondered what it takes to start your own podcast, we're here to help. We're putting together a podcast startup package with our recommendations and some of the key lessons we learned over the past two years of podcasting. You can sign up by heading over to our website, conqueringcolumbus.com. And while you're there, don't forget to give us a like on Facebook and be sure to subscribe and share Conquering Columbus wherever you get your podcasts. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what once again I think of that guy in my ear I think about stepping up to the stage I think about the challenge like I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost and so like I bet on me any day choosing greatness greatness doesn't choose you you know you have to choose it and yeah, it's I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.